Good morning, church. It's good to see everybody here today. We're again in the Gospel of Matthew. We've been working our way through it. We're in Matthew 21 this morning. Matthew 21. And we're going to be reading verses 1 through 17. And the title of the message is Drawing the Battle Line. <laughs> and new, there it is. I wonder if it's going to work now. It's doing nothing. Anyway, guys, you have to work it from up there. You get a new toy and it doesn't even work, right? You have to take it back, but anyway. In Matthew 21, like I said, the name of the message is Drawing the Battle Line. And beginning in verse 1. Now when Jesus... Jesus, Now, excuse me, let's start again. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, see to, the, see to the daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on, their, uh, put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna, and that means the the Lord save. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and the proclamation of his word. One of the most quoted lines from, uh, from Martin Luther King Jr.'s speeches is this. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. I think I read that uh, President Obama had a carpet, had, had a carpet that, was, uh, in, that, was, uh, that had this saying on it in his office. And that's a great statement, and I think it's true. There is, God is going to bring everything to truth and justice. He's going to right every wrong someday. Uh, and, and it does bend toward justice. 
But I don't think uh, the statement from Dr. King uh, did not mean that without effort, without struggle, justice would just happen. In fact, if you look at the life of Dr. Martin Luther King, his life was a series of direct confrontations with injustice in order to bring about justice. Dr. King didn't sit around and expect injustice to go away. He struggled against injustice. In fact, uh, he argued against this in his famous letter from the Birmingham jail. Now, the letter from the Birmingham jail was, uh, was addressed to clergy who said they agreed with his goals of uh, ending segregation and uh, ending injustice, but they thought his violating the court order of a judge who said there uh, should be no parading or demonstrating or boycotting or trespassing or picketing, they thought that was wrong. They, they didn't think he should violate that court order. And so if you read the letter uh, from the Birmingham jail, Dr. King argued that only methods that, that would truly bring about change, uh, you had to confront injustice uh, with peaceful and nonviolent protest. See, because there come a time when injustice must be faced and confronted and not tolerated and not tolerated. Now, in Matthew 21, the time for confrontation has come in the life of Jesus as he, as he walked the earth 2,000 years ago. For a while, Jesus would often tell his followers, to, if, he, if he did miraculous things, to keep it quiet. He would tell people he healed, don't, don't tell anyone about it. Why did he do this? Because he knew the nation had a false idea of Messiah. They thought Messiah was going to be a conquering general. And so Jesus had to help them to first understand what kind of Messiah he would be, uh, be as he revealed himself as that kind of Messiah. However, now at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, he was marching toward Jerusalem. He was marching toward the cross. The time was at hand to make a forceful and public statement. Now was the time to confront those who were growing more and more hostile in their opposition to him. And in Matthew 21, Jesus is drawing a line in the sand. And he is challenging the authorities and powers of the spiritual and political leadership of the nation of Israel. Until now, Jesus had played it rather low-key, squashing publicity. But now the time for direct confrontation was at hand. And so Jesus pushes toward this confrontation. From Matthew 21, we see this timeless truth. Believers purposely confront evil and injustice by following Jesus' courageous example. Believers purposely confront evil and and injustice by following Jesus' courageous example. Now, everything Jesus did in the passage from Matthew 21 was making a statement of who he was, and he was confronting those who opposed him. Everything he did in this chapter. Jesus' parade-like demonstration uh, as he entered Jerusalem, his going into the temple and driving out the buyers and the sellers and turning over the tables of the money changers, even his healing in the temple were all statements of who Jesus was and the authority that Jesus possessed. And so I want us to look this morning at how this teaches us uh, what Jesus' example was and how we should courageously follow it. First of all, we need to follow Jesus' example of courageously confronting injustice by understanding God's timing. 
We need to follow Jesus' example of confronting, of courageously confronting injustice by understanding God's timing. Now, Jesus had been preparing his followers for what was lying right ahead of him. He had told his apostles three times we've gone through as we look through Matthew that he was going to Jerusalem. He was going to be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. They were going to condemn him to death. They were going to deliver him to the Gentiles who would mock him and flog him and crucify him. And Jesus told them these things and he told them also he would be raised from the dead. He had prepared them. It was the week before Passover and Jesus and his followers were entering Jerusalem. The time was at hand for these things to happen. This was God's perfect time for this to happen. We sang about it. Uh, God in the right time died for the ungodly. This was God's perfect time for, for Jesus to confront these religious leaders, for Jesus to lay his life down on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven, for Jesus to rise up from the grave never to die again. It was time for Jesus to make his sacrifice for us. Well, he sent two of his uh, disciples to the village opposite them to look for a donkey and a colt tied there. When they found the donkey, they untied it, and they were to bring the two animals to Jesus. Jesus said, if anyone asks you what you're doing, you're to reply, the Lord needs them, and then they would let you take the animals. And Matthew tells us that this was happening to fulfill prophecy. And Jesus was purposely fulfilling a prophecy from Zechariah 9.2. Zechariah 9.2 says, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a colt, on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a beast of burden. Jesus was consciously fulfilling messianic prophecy. Uh, David had at one time entered Jerusalem after a victorious battle on a donkey, and Jesus was kind of reenacting that. But the donkey was not a war horse. It was an animal that represented peace and humility. The prophecy was Jesus proclaiming he was Messiah. As he was riding on that donkey, on that colt, in that parade, uh, he was announcing himself as Messiah, and he was also announcing himself as a, as, a, uh, as a Messiah that would not be a Messiah of war, but be a Messiah of, uh, of peace, that would bring peace. He was not going to come to wipe out the, the hated Romans, but he was going to be a humble and peaceful Messiah. So we entered Jerusalem on that young donkey. Make, he was making a statement. But Jesus wasn't entering Jerusalem by itself. Remember, this was Passover time. There would have been thousands of people entering Jerusalem at this time. Um, Warren Wiersbe says there could have been two million people in Jerusalem uh, for this celebration. And so these pilgrims, as Jesus entered and they saw what was happening, and he was riding on this donkey, uh, on, the, on, the, on this colt, they would throw, uh, they would cut off palm branches, and they would throw their coats down as a kind of a red carpet for Jesus. And as Jesus was entered, this crowd that was coming along with Jesus would shout out, Hosanna, and that means save, save us. Hosanna to the son of David. The son of David was a messianic. Uh, it was a messianic uh, a title. It was uh, identifying Jesus as the Savior, the Christ, the Messiah that Israel was expecting. They would shout, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The scripture says the city was stirred up. Stirred up. And the Greek word that use, that, use, uh, that, that, that means stirred up is actually a word we get our work seismic from. 
It's a seismic kind of shaking. It's an earthquake kind of shaking. Jerusalem was stirred up. Uh, Jerusalem was stirred up. Um, And so Jesus, that's the way he entered. No longer... You remember, the leader's opposition was growing. It was becoming more and more hostile to Jesus. But the time was right. And Jesus consciously, purposely, uh, was confronting their wrong understanding and, and their injustice that was among them. You see, there's a time to prepare and a time to act. Jesus had prepared himself and his followers for what lie ahead. But now was the time to act. This was not just a spontaneous action. But this was a planned and purposeful action. Jesus did not just see injustice and wrong and emotionally respond. Jesus purposely set this parade in motion. uh, To make a statement of who he was and what he was about. Uh, And he was confronting opposition. He was confronting injustice. You see, we can get all emotionally uh, stirred up about injustice, but if we're not careful, we'll, we will not confront it in the right way. Uh, we, can, we can accomplish little. We can confront it in the wrong way at the wrong time. But, but Jesus acted rationally and purposely, and, and it was the way that it was supposed to be. It was in God's time. We remember from the Old Testament, you know, Moses saw one of his Hebrew uh, brothers being beaten by an Egyptian, and Moses acted irrationally and irrationally, and he, and he beat up the Egyptian and killed him and buried him. Remember, that, that wasn't God's way for it to happen. Moses got it wrong. You see, when you act out of emotion, when you act out of, uh, when you don't think things through, you can get it wrong. Uh, if you act out of fear or danger or anger or hatred, you can get it wrong. But if you, if you act out of what is just and what is right, when the time is right, you can get it right. We, we need to follow the example of Jesus. When it's time to act, it is time to act. But we need to make sure we are following the timing of God and doing it in the right way at the right time. We need to follow Jesus' example of courageously confronting injustice by understanding God's timing. There's a second thing here I want you to see. We need to follow Jesus' example of courageously confronting injustice by opposing religious hypocrisy. Now Mark tells us that Jesus looked around. We we put the gospel accounts together. Mark tells us Jesus looked around and then spent the evening at Bethany. Now Matthew, as we've seen, as we've worked our way through the gospel of Matthew, Matthew uh, condenses the action. He, 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 uh, He condenses it, leaves out many details because he's trying to get to make a point. Uh, But we know from Mark that Jesus went to Bethany and spent the night um, before he went to the temple. Now in Matthew, Malachi 3.1, there's a prophecy about the Lord coming to his temple. And here, in, in this passage, we see that Jesus is fulfilling that prophecy at this time. He's coming to his temple. Well, what does Jesus do when he arrives? It says he drives out the buyers and the sellers. He overturns the tables of those who would exchange uh, unacceptable currency for temple currency. Jesus cleanses the temple. He, he, he forcefully cleanses the temple. 
Jesus, Scripture says, Jesus said, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you made it a den of robbers. You guys are a bunch of crooks, is basically what Jesus is saying to the people there. Now notice, Jesus didn't go to the high priest and the scribes and seek permission to do this. He just did it. By his own authority, he did what we see him doing in Matthew 21. The place where this was happening in the temple complex was the court of the Gentiles. It was the only place that non-Jews could go to worship the living God. In this place, which should have been a place of worship, which should have been a place of prayer, they were buying and selling animals, they were exchanging money. It was a livestock market. Have you ever been to cattle auction? You know, when I was pastor in Kansas, I went to cattle auction sometimes. It's not a quiet place, is it? I didn't pray much when I was at the cattle auction, actually. And so, so that's this place, which should have been a place of worship, was being turned into a, a, a livestock uh, holding place, and it just was not conducive. And Jesus kicked them all out. Jesus kicked them all out by, by his actions. He is claiming authority to kick out the buyers and the sellers and overtain the money changers. Jesus was confronting religious leaders and their hypocrisy for allowing this to happen in the temple courts. Now think about this. Jesus entered Jerusalem with the parade that showed he was a humble and peaceful Messiah. But then, instead of confronting the hated Romans who were politically oppressing Israel, he doesn't go to the Romans. He goes first to the temple. And he confronts the religious hypocrisy of the leaders who are presiding over the temple and their worship practice. That's where Jesus went first. That's where Jesus went first. Uh, Craig Blomgren writes this, Jesus' challenge runs deeper than merely lamenting and replacement of worship with nationalism or decrying unjust business practices, uh, the Jewish scholar Jay Neusner rightly recognized that Jesus is in fact threatening the whole sacrificial system. With his crucifixion near and already knowing that most of the leadership would reject his reforms, for all intents and purposes, he does here dram- dramatize God's imminent judgment on the temple and the nation. Jesus cleansed the temple. Jesus cleansed the temple. You know, a lot of times we get all excited about people who don't know Christ and they hold unbiblical positions and things that are contrary to truth. We got all upset. We get all we get all think look at the political situation and what people say, and we get all upset and it bothers us a lot. But I'm going to ask you a question. What should we expect with, about people that do not know Christ, don't know his ways? Should we expect them to have Christian values? Should we expect them to understand the things of God? They can't understand the things of God. We have to proclaim the love of God to them before they can even begin to understand the ways of God. Uh, oftentimes, though, we overlook the hypocrisy and the oppression and injustice of Christian leaders and among God's people. We just overlook people that we tend to like or agree with. We, we don't talk about people that, that do lies in the name of Jesus or or, uh, or uh, are hypocrites or are harassing or abusing others. 
And that's who we should be speaking to. That's who we should be speaking to. Uh, Bloomberg again writes, Corruption among the leadership of God's people arouses Jesus' wrath more quickly than anything else. You see, it should bother us when we ourselves, especially when we ourselves, but when we see in any person who names the name of Jesus acting in ways that blatantly dishonor Jesus, we need to speak and confront those people. We need to speak and confront those people. You know, we're such a politically divided nation. But I'm going to tell you, I don't, I don't know what side of the political spectrum you're on. But you better speak the truth to both sides of the situation. Because nobody's getting it right. Nobody's getting it 100% right. There is hypocrisy, there is corruption on all sides. And we better speak the truth in love to people that, that might agree with us and to people that don't agree with us. And especially to people in the church who are being, who are being hypocrites. You know, if I'm a hypocrite, please tell me. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I work, and I know there are times that I act hypocritically. Help me not to be a hypocrite. I want, I want to help you not to be a hypocrite. Of course, we've got to do that in the right way. You know, we are brothers and sisters. I, I don't want to denounce you without having talked to you, and there's the right way to go about things. But, you know, these were religious leaders who were highly visible, and Jesus had confronted them again and again and again and again and again. The time for quiet confrontation was past. The time for public confrontation was upon them. Was upon them. So we, too, need to confront and speak against uh, religious hypocrisy when we see it, and especially when we see it over and over and over and over again. We need to follow Jesus' example of courageously confronting injustice by opposing religious hypocrisy. But then there's one more thing I want you to see. We need to follow Jesus' example of courageously confronting injustice by bringing his salvation and healing to the outcast. Now Jesus cleanses the temple. And then it says the blind and the lame come to him in the temple and Jesus heals them. It's the only time in the New Testament that Jesus is found doing miracles in the temple itself. The only time. You see, there were those who felt like a person with any kind of disability should not even be allowed in the temple. Uh, D.A. Carson wrote, Most Jewish authorities forbade any person lame, blind, deaf, or mute from offering a sacrifice from appearing before Yahweh in his temple. He says the, the uh, Qumran governors wanted to go further and exclude all the cripples uh, from the congregation, the messianic banquet, and uh, the messianic battle. But look what Jesus does. Jesus brings them in the temple. He allows them to come and he heals them there. And he shows that one who is greater than the temple is present in the temple on that day. Jesus heals them. He not only allows them in the temple, he heals them. And he, and he shows his authority over the temple. And then he accepts praise from the little boys running around. You know, the little children running around in the temple. They're saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Uh, uh, Hosanna to the son of David. They're running around in the temple saying these things. Well, the chief priests and the scribes, they don't like it. 
they're angry. They want they wanted Jesus to rebuke his disciples when they were saying it the day before when he was marching into Jerusalem. And again they say, silence <coughs> silence these children. They don't need to be running around in church praising God. Well, that's terrible, isn't it? Well, that's exactly what they were doing. They said, silence him. What did Jesus do? He, 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 he stung him. He gave him a stinging rebuke. He said, yes, have you never read? Now, that's an interesting phrase. He uses that a few times in the Gospel of Matthew. You see, these were supposed to be people who were experts in the Scripture. And he says, have you never read? Well, they weren't exactly the experts they thought they were, Willie. He says, have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes you have prepared praise? You see, Jesus brings his healing to people in the temple. He shows his authority. Uh, he brings his salvation, his life to those in the temple. And we too, like Jesus, are to bring his salvation and healing and praise to others around us. We're to do that. Yes, we are to be courageous in the face of evil and injustice, but that courage is not really complete until we bring the message of salvation and healing to the outcast among us that desperately know that there is a God who loves them and who wants to save them and who wants them to know Him and He, and he wants to give them life and forgive their sins. You see, we're to be about that too. Yeah, it's easy to speak sometimes against injustice. But are we taking the, the love of God and the healing of God to those who desperately need it? We're to bring His message to those outcasts that they too might praise Jesus. Well, last Friday, November 9th, was the 30th anniversary of the fall of the Berlin Wall. The Berlin Wall separated communist East Germany from West Germany. Uh, and it was, it was quite a historical happening. You know, the wall was built not to keep people out, but to keep communist people enslaved. We often forget that. It happened and 30 years ago. You know, it was an event that just a few years before, no one, I don't think anyone could have predicted that it would have come down, that the Berlin Wall would have come down. But about two years before that, on June 12, 1987, President Ronald Reagan gave a speech that his State Department and foreign policy advisors, they wanted him to edit this speech. They wanted him to revise it because they thought a portion of it was too confrontational, was too personal, was too confrontational. And they urged him, even up to the time that he gave it, to, to delete that from his speech. But he didn't revise it. He didn't revise that speech. And this is what he courageously said on that day. We welcome change and openness, for we believe that freedom and security go together. That the advance of human liberty can only strengthen the cause of world peace. There is one sign the Soviets can make that would be unmistakable, that would advance dramatically the cause of freedom and peace. General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, come here to the gate, Mr. Gorbachev. Open this gate 
Mr. Gorbachev, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Later on in the speech, President Reagan said, As I looked out a moment ago from the Reichstag, the embodiment of German unity, I noticed words crudely spray-painted on the wall, perhaps by a young Berliner. The wall will fall. Beliefs cannot... Beliefs become reality. Yes, across Europe, this wall will fall, for it cannot withstand faith. It cannot withstand truth. The wall cannot withstand freedom. Now that was two years before anyone ever thought the wall would ever come down. Yes, there's a time to wait. There's a time to prepare. Yes, you should be prepared. We shouldn't act emotionally rashly when we're talking about injustice and when we're talking about salvation and life. There is a time to wait and a time to prepare. But there will always be people who advise you to wait. There will always be people who tell you it's still time to be patient. But that is not true. In our lives, there is a time to prepare, but there's a time to be bold and courageous in the face of evil and injustice. When the time comes to act, and you know the time is right, act. Act. You see, believers purposely confront evil and injustice by following Jesus' courageous example. Let's pray together. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, you've never put your trust in Him, I want you to know that the God who I proclaim, who East Madison proclaims, is the God who loves you more than you could ever understand or know. He's the God that sent His Son to die for you on the cross, to die for me and you and and the world. And He died in our place so that our sins could be forgiven. And He died so that that the injustice that we had done against a holy God could be justly atoned for, could be justly paid for. Jesus died for us in our place for our sins so that we could be forgiven. And justly forgiven. And 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 the... Jesus that did that, He did that because He loved you. He did that because you need Him and I need Him. And then He rose again from the grave, never to die again. We, we don't proclaim a dead Savior. We proclaim one who physically, bodily, literally came out of the grave, never to die again. If He didn't, we shouldn't even be here today. But we are here because He did do that. And He, he offers you eternal life if you'll, if you'll believe. And today, if you've never believed, I want to ask you, is, is this the first time you've heard? Is it, is it the right time for you to believe? Is the Holy Spirit of God uh, speaking to you and saying to you, believe? Or maybe you just need to begin to explore. But if the time is right for you to put your trust in Jesus, today, don't say, I'll, I'll think about it and do it later. But if you know that you, you are believing that Jesus is who He said He was, And today you need to give your life to Him. Would you give your life to Him today? Would you? If He's speaking to you and you need to, 
if today there's some other kind of something that's going on in your life, maybe you, you see in your life there's, there's some injustice happening at your work, uh, at, at your school, there's some injustice happening in your neighborhood, and God wants you to do something about it. And you need to just have someone pray with you and ask God to give you the courage to do what you need to do this day. We have a couple people at the back. Megan and Jason will be there. They'll be there to pray with you and uh, talk to you about anything you might need to talk to someone about today. Lord, we love you. And Lord, we see in our own lives, Lord, I see in my life a tendency to be a coward sometimes, to not speak up, to not speak up for the oppressed or those uh, injustice that's happening, to not tell others about the love of God, that Christ died for us, and, uh, and, and they need him and that Jesus, forgive me for being a coward so much of the time. Help me to be a person of courage. And I pray that here at East Madison, that today those who hear, that we would be people of courage that speak your truth and love in a way that honors you. I pray today that there's anybody here that doesn't know you, that they would give their life to you. Or Lord, if they're thinking about it, would you just continue to move in their life? And help them to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And, and to know his love and forgiveness and his presence. God, I just pray that you would work and move. And do in lives what only you can do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.